Heat Hawks playing game Tuesday night. What are the keys for the Heat to win and why they should not overlook one Trey Young? Plus, could this be Trey Young's last season in Atlanta? All of that and much more coming up next. You are locked on Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to Locked On Eat, your daily podcast on the Miami Heat. I'm Wes Goldberg. However, you might be tuning in on YouTube, Odyssey, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for making Locked On Heat your first listen every day and for hitting that subscribe button. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code Locked On NBA for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. A Locked On Heat, Locked On Hawks crossover. Joining me today is Brad Roland of Locked On Hawks. We're going to preview Tuesday night's playing game between the Heat and the Hawks. First time the Heat have been involved in a playing game. Uh, not the first time for the Atlanta Hawks, who beat the Cavs in last year's playing game. Brad, I just want to start right there. Uh, I think this whole thing is new for Heat fans, obviously. You know, the, the Heat have been involved in high-stakes games, but still nothing quite like, you know, Game 7s, even last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, but still nothing quite like one game, sort of March Madness-style knockout <laughs> Uh, I know they've, you know, if you lose this game, you've got another game against the winner of the 9-10 game to advance as the eighth seed. But this is still kind of a unique kind of thing, having covered a team that has done this before. What kind of stood out to you about last year's experience? And does it does it does it feel different having covered it, talking to players, coaches, all these things, and then kind of thinking uh, it, from their perspective if it feels different for them? Is it different at all? I think a little bit. I mean, it's it kind of has to be there. It's, it's still fairly new, number one. Like, this has not been going on for all that long. So teams right. have played it at multiple times now. But, you know, I'm sure the Heat had different expectations on some level. But, like, once the Hawks became clear they were going to be kind of in the middle of the playoff mix somewhere, the marching orders were to be in the top six. Like, no one wants to be in the play-in. And when you're in the play-in, there's a level of uncomfortability there. Like, you're, no one's going to be entering this week. Even, you know, Miami's going to be the favorite in the game. We all know that. But, like, no one's going to be comfortable with that. Like, it's a one-game season, like you said. And, yeah, it's different to be in the 7-8 versus the 9-10. The Hawks were in the 9-10 last year. That means, you had to, that, that means you had to win twice, and then you're really walking a tightrope because even if you do that, you're probably gassed, and you're going into a playoff series against number one seed, number two seed coming after that. So, um, you know, it's it's a little bit different. Everyone's kind of on the edge of their seats because there's just no margin for error. And, and over the course of a series, even if you're the better team, you you, just, you got to have more time to get sorted out. If you are not the better team, in the first half, even you look up at halftime, you're down by 15 points and you're looking at like, what, what happened here? Like we, you have one bad half and you're in some trouble. So uh, the margins are just narrow. Obviously the stakes are not quite as high, like you said, as Eastern conference finals or whatever, but it is a game that uh, has a, a unique uh, sort of pressure cooker. The margins are narrower. The variance is way higher too. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's one game. I mean, one guy goes off and makes eight, three pointers in the game and, and that can swing it. Right. And, you know, you mentioned the Hawks. They got through the two games. They ended up playing the number one seed Miami Heat last year as the number eight seed. Of course, the Heat won that series four to one. Um, Trey Young trapped, struggled, all these things. They go into the offseason. The Hawks do. They go out and add DeJounte Murray. Uh, a year later, they make a coaching change. Quinn Snyder in, Nate McMillan out. Um, Trey Young has sort of evolved. They've been working out with the chemistry with him and DeJounte Murray. It's still a little clunky here and there. I do want to touch on that later, but. Um, all of, all of that stuff happens and the Hawks are still, uh, one in three against the heat this year, the heat are three and one against the Hawks so far this season going into this game, obviously division rivals, things like that. Um, 
what's from the Hawks perspective, the view of the Miami heat, is it sort of bully, big brother, boogeyman kind of thing? Is there sort of like, what is it with the Hawks and how they view the Miami heat right now? You know, anytime a playoff series goes the way it went last year and it was lopsided, there was no way around that. You know, the Hawks knew, and I, I think, they probably downplay this, but I think what they did in the offseason was a direct response to how bad that series went and how it went bad with, with regard to Trey and all of that stuff. So that carries over. I think that you would acknowledge, like, this is not quite the same Heat team as it was last year. This is not the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, so there's not quite that, that, that level of maybe assertiveness. And, yes, they were one and three against the Heat this year, but all four games were relatively close, single-digit games. The Hawks were more competitive in those games than they were in the playoff series. Does that matter? Who knows? The Hawks are healthier this time around. That probably helps things as well. There were some pre-documented injury issues last time around, too. I'm not sure that would have changed the series all, all the way through, but it would have been something, perhaps. And I think that, you know, they probably view Miami as a team that they've seen four times a year for a long time now. It's a pretty similar team. Again, not quite as good as it was last year, but it's still Jimmy. It's still Bam. It's still Spo. It's still the same structure in some ways. So there's familiarity there, which can be good. It can be bad. But um, I think they feel like they have a they have a puncher's chance, but there is that annoyance factor almost of like having a division rival, so to speak, be the team that you see in this one game scenario. It's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, like you said, th these teams see each other four times a year by definition. They saw each other in the playoffs so for an extra five games last year. And it does sort of feel like every time you look up, the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks are playing a basketball game. And, um, you know, you mentioned how they're kind of the same. The Heat, look. It's been a frustrating year for the Miami Heat. They don't want to be in the play-in game. They are. They've kind of had to settle into that new reality and settle into the fact that they have to face uh, the Hawks again here to try to get into the playoffs as the number seven seed. But, um, you know, P.J. Tucker was an important part of their defense last year. They lose him in the offseason. And then they kind of just band-aid solution the power forward spot for all, all season. They start with the undersized Caleb Martin at the four. All-star break comes. They come out the other side. They've, they've signed Kevin Love on the buyout. He starts at the four. That didn't quite work out. They put him on the bench. He's now backing up Bam Adebayo as the center. And now they have basically a three-guard starting lineup. They've got Max Strews sort of listed at power forward because for some reason Jimmy Butler does not want to be listed at power forward. But for all intents and purposes, it's a three-guard lineup of Gabe Vincent because now Kyle Lowry is the sixth man coming off the bench. So Gabe Vincent is the starter. Uh, Tyler Hero, obviously, Max Struess, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo. And all that said, they're still doing the same thing. They're still, every every time they play the Hawks, Trey Young comes off of a ball screen, and they're going to trap him, and they're going to be aggressive. Um, it really messed up Trey Young last year. I mean, there's no, there, he had more turnovers than than assists in that series. He averaged 13 points a game on terrible shooting numbers, 18% from three-point range, something like that. Um, this year, it's been a little bit better, though. He's up to like 19 points per game against the Heat. The shooting percentages are a little bit better. The uh, the assist-to-turnover ratio isn't upside down the way it was in, the, in last year's series. But um, how have you seen Trey Young sort of evolve as he's approached that? It's not just the Heat that do it. A lot of teams try to do it against him because he's so small. But how have you seen him evolve in terms of how he uh, approaches and counters and attacks uh, on offense when defenses are trying to trap him off those ball screens? I'm glad you laid it out that way too, because you know Trey is not. It's not like Miami doing anything that's like totally off the wall against Trey for whatever reason. It, perhaps it's execution, perhaps it's just coaching and acumen and all that. You know, he's credited Gabe Vincent in the past. He's credited Bam for really kind of blowing things up, and Bam is a unique player, as you well know. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's part of it. But like he's not seeing stuff he hasn't seen before. And part of it in the playoff series, like that's that's why they went and got Murray last year, was that they thought there was nobody else. And Miami basically 
in the nicest way possible, disrespected everybody else. They were not going to let Trey beat them. And that was the right decision. The Hawks didn't have number two guy that was going to beat them. It was, it was a lot of DeAndre Hunter. And that's not a guy who's going to be able to beat you in that, in that same way. But as far as Trey's concerned, like he has been better this year. The numbers, shooting numbers in particular, are still not very good against Miami. It's a small sample size. He was definitely a little bit more comfortable, whether it's because there's no PJ around or whatever it was going to be. You can sort of attribute to your, uh, your favorite narrative there, kind of wherever you choose it. But I think the last game that they played in the regular season, I think it was March 6th against each other, was his most comfortable game. I think that's like that was also with 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 this new coaching staff, Nate McMillan, no longer walking through that door for the Hawks, which I think gives him a little bit more confidence because Nate, for whatever reason, uh, him and Spo Spo dominated that matchup. Anytime they saw each other, even dating back to Indiana, maybe that's part of it. But Trey just looked like they had more answers. It wasn't like it was perfect. They lost the game by two points. It was more of a shootout than you might expect from a Hawks Heat matchup. But um, you know, little incremental things. Maybe just having Murray on the floor next to him, just to have another guy that they have to respect. It, I think comfortability is probably the biggest thing because Trey is a very smart player. No matter what you think of him, he does adapt well. Usually that's why it was so jarring when he was so bad the entire series. He just kind of never had plan B. He usually has a plan B. So I think he'll be, he'll have something different. I would imagine between him and this new staff uh, sort of approaching Tuesday. I went back and watched the film because the other interesting thing about this matchup is not a lot of teams have seen the new Hawks with Quinn Snyder. And if they have, it's one game, but not the Miami heat. Quinn Snyder got hired and it was a little bit after that. He, he even had a little bit of time to settle in there. And then the Heat saw the Hawks two games at home in that kind of baseball series that the NBA has implemented recently. And um, they saw him. And so I went back and watched the film on those two games just to kind of get some, a feel for it. And one of the things that I've noticed Trey Young get really good at is just attacking in earlier in the shot clock so that when – as so you're, you're, he's not really giving the defense a chance to trap and get have that second defender get settled coming off of that ball screen, right? And so – you know, they'll they'll get them downhill. They'll even set screens closer to the basket as opposed to really up high. They'll mix up like the level of the screen a lot offensively so that, you know, the defense doesn't really know where that screen is going to be set, where it's like last year, it just felt like every time down the court, oh, you're going to set that screen 32 feet away from the basket. <laughs> cool, thanks. I, I'm, I'm already here. You know what I mean? And so they're, they're done a better job of mixing up the levels of the screens and where they are on the court and Trey Young's done a better job of just getting downhill, attacking, and not really screwing around a whole lot. Like, I think Trey Young gets in a lot of trouble when he over dribbles. Uh, not breaking news there, but, you know, against the Heat in those two games, I noticed that he's just kind of, all right, like three dribbles off that screen and then just find an open shooter or take my shot if I have it. And I thought he, he, I thought that was a, that's going to be an adjustment. And that, that was like the counter. And I thought the Heat were a little ill prepared at times for that. They ended up winning both of those games. But they had to score 128 points and or 130 points in one of those games because they gave up 128 to the Hawks, which is not the way they want to beat the Hawks if they're going to win those games. So um, he's clearly he's clearly really intelligent. Clearly, he's got great feel for the game and uh, has made some sort of step forward in terms of how he wants to attack, specifically the Miami Heat trap. Which, as you mentioned, they do execute really well. They are really aggressive. They are very physical, and I think it's different than even when other teams try to trap, even though it's kind of the same book. Every time you play the Atlanta Hawks, um, you mentioned Trey Young and and Dejounte Murray there, and, and the kind of the release valve that Murray could be, um, and then Quinn Snyder too. There's a lot going on with the Atlanta Hawks, and I do wonder if they're even motivated to win this game. At the same time, it's been a very frustrating year for the Miami Heat. I, I think it's a fair question: which team is more motivated to even win this thing? Because it kind of feels like in a one-game playoff, that could really matter. We're going to talk about that next, but first. Today's episode of Locked, uh, crossover episode between Locked On Heat and Locked On Hawks is brought to you by the Game Time app. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not 
be a stressful situation. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you with killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee you could stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you're going to have. I've used the Game Time app even before they were a sponsor of the Lockdown Podcast Network. I think it's awesome. Um, I would not call myself a baseball fan, but I enjoy going to a baseball game. I live close to the Miami Marlins arena. It's very easy to go, okay, hey, it's a Saturday afternoon. They're already in the second inning. Let me check how much it would be on the Game Time app to get a, a ticket and get into the game. And they've got good food, good beer, stuff like that. It's just a good hang. Um, and I've, I've gotten tickets for like Marlins games for like five bucks a pop. And my wife and I will go and, and have an awesome time. So highly recommend this app. It's great. We're really excited that they're partners uh, with the Locked On Podcast Network. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of event, even in the second inning. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seats before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps, and you're all set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never even have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code LOCKEDONNBA for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All your Locked On shows are available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, so make sure that you're subscribed. Um, all right. Who's more motivated to win this game, Brad? Do you think it's uh, – where the Hawks even stand? Like, I think a lot of people from the outside look at this as a transition year, uh, but they have a chance to make the playoffs. How motivated are they? Yeah, it, it's really kind of fascinating. Like, nationally, you wouldn't consider this this angle too, too much, but you bring in Quinn Snyder in the middle of a season, really two-thirds through the season – that's already way off the radar. You don't normally see a guy who's as established and respected and highly paid also like this huge contract to come in mid season from outside, outside the organization. And also in the middle of a playoff race, because the Hawks weren't out of it. Like the few times this has actually happened, it's been either really early in the season or really late when a team's kind of just done like what Chris, like yeah. Chris Finch in Minnesota or whatever. So there's already uncharted. They've kind of embraced that Quinn's admitted. Like it's pretty strange. Like he's, he has his, uh, the full staff's not his staff. It was the previous staff. Like it's this whole mismatch thing. And I think I've observed, like, I think there's a little bit of, of evaluation happening versus like pedal to the floor trying to win. They're obviously trying to win now. They're too invested to win now to not try to win. But I do think that Quinn is keeping at least, at least publicly a, a, sort of a, a step, a step away from everything just to say, look, I just got here. I'm figuring it all out. Um, future facing comments, et cetera. But they do want to win. This is especially from the top down. This is an ownership group, a leadership group that like they get trigger happy. And if they were to, let's say, lose back-to-back playing games and miss the playoffs after all that investment, no one's going to be happy. I think maybe in the, maybe in the locker room, maybe in Snyder's office, he'll be okay because they just realize like, does it really actually matter? First first round loss or probably versus playing loss. But at the top, it could really matter. So I think these guys want to win. Trey's really competitive. This is a competitive roster, and it's not that young of a roster anymore. They're still fairly young, but they're not incredibly young anymore either. So Miami's in a different spot, and I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you speak to that because they're not used to being here. But the Hawks were, did this before they got out of it. They actually won through the play-in, but it's definitely an odd situation because of all of the turmoil, maybe not in, in, in the most negative sense, but just the way that it's all changed over in the last few months and kind of a whole new direction. Yeah, I think in the Heat's perspective, they're extremely motivated. You're talking about the Hawks and how forward-looking they are, and I, and you get it, right? Um, you're They are get a little bit getting older, but Trey Young is still young. We're going to talk about his future in Atlanta here in a second, but 
you know, you just had DeJounte Murray. You're still sort of working that out. Obviously, the Quinn Snyder thing, the front office changes, all that. It kind of feels like this is a transition year for better or worse and that they expect that there's better basketball in the fall, in the coming seasons than what happened this year. Where with the Miami Heat, I, I don't know that there, there's a sort of a sense of how long is this going to go? How much longer of Jimmy Butler's prime do you have? It's a very sort of immediate thing for the Miami Heat. And so I think they're very motivated to get out of the plan. I think they're very disappointed to be here in the first place. Um, but they've had to sort of accept that reality. And uh, look, this is a team that is kind of foaming at the mouth for a chance to play the Boston Celtics. So it's not just get out of the playing tournament. It's specifically get number seven so that they could play the Celtics. This is not a team that typically allows itself to talk about looking ahead or what's on the other side of any game. They're very like cliche in that it's one game at a time, blah, blah, blah. Even <laughs> though, you know, you and I both know that that's not necessarily true, but uh, they have sort of allowed themselves this week or just today at practice to kind of talk about, you know, we want the Celtics on the other side of this. So there is a motivation there and I have no problem with it. And um, they, they should be motivated because the fact that they're here at uh, number seven is disappointing. And considering the talent, the high level talent on this roster, I should say with Jimmy and, and Bam, uh, they shouldn't be here, especially because they were the number one seed last year, too. Um, how do the Hawks win this one? Yeah, that, that's a big question, of course, that I'm trying to answer. And I, I think if you look at even the record season and, and just the way the Hawks are structured, they're going to have to score in this matchup. And it was actually I was surprised looking back both at film and, and the numbers, how well they scored against Miami this year. They actually gave up a bunch of points. And, you know, you would think that after the playoff series, they'd be unable to score. They actually scored fairly well. They were pretty efficient. Mm -hmm. They shot the ball pretty well against Miami this year. It didn't result in wins. But the Hawks have been even more extreme in the second half of the season. I use second half to be post-author breaks are really the last third of the season. Um, they're like number two or three in the league in offense, and they're bottom five in defense. And that's kind of an old-school Hawks thing, like from last year, like where they were just elite on one end, awful on the other. And I think that, you know, like in this matchup, and you can tell me more about Miami's offense, but if you look at the, the structure, like Miami's been a pretty bad offensive team for a lot of this year, which is kind of surprising. If you look at their roster, it shouldn't be this bad, but that's kind of what you would think. So for the Hawks, it's kind of the same formula that, that they're always trying to look at. It's outscore the other team. And that's that's very simple for, simplified, of course. But they need Trey to be obviously leaps and bounds better than he was a year ago. They're not winning the series if Trey Young is even slightly better than he was a year ago against in that series. I know this is only a one game sample size, and then maybe they could win it um, even with Trey having a bad night. But I think he's got to be better. That's very simple. And I think the Hawks, at least they're, they're signaling that they might lean a little bit more offense. They might go with Sadiq Bay a little bit more than John Collins. They might go a little bit smaller. Um, and that you can do that against Miami's because of what you said earlier on this podcast, even how small they go. If, if Jimmy's going to be your four most of the time or your other four is Max Struess, like you can afford to go smaller than you might go against, against other teams. So I think maybe a, a high-scoring affair leans in the Hawks' direction, even though they've lost a couple of those to Miami this year. I think they probably still want to play this game fast and not grind it out because Miami is just much more well-built, particularly around Jimmy and Bam, to play that grind-it-out style. I think the Hawks want to get, get up and go, play this one in the 120s if they can, and then that gives them the best chance to win. No doubt, right? And the Heat, like you said, they want to do the exact opposite. Yeah. They want this game played in like the 100 to 110 range, right? And, and I think that's probably where their sweet spot are, like really like 95 to 105 would really be the sweet spot for Miami. Uh, they made those changes to the starting lineup because their offense was so bad, to your point. And it has been trending better lately, more space around Jimmy and Bam with that extra shooter out there being Max Struess. And over the last 15 games, their three-point percentage has gone from bottom five in the league to top 10 in the league. They're shooting 37% over that span um, over the last 15 games. And you can credit some of that to just positive regression to the mean. It was bound to happen at some point. And some of the, the, the lineup changes. And the fact that they're just playing through Jimmy more. 
right? Like we've kind of seen playoff Jimmy Butler engaged at the end of the regular season where it kind of took a couple of rounds last year to even get there in the playoffs. Um, and then of course we saw that eruption in, in, in the Eastern conference finals against Boston, but um, he's been playing like that for the most part, like probably 85% of that 90% of that. And, and the heat have been playing through him and it's creating so many open looks for the other guys around him. And I, again, I was watching the film and you mentioned sort of like the, the, the pace of the game and the tone of the game. To me, it's like Jimmy Butler has to set the tone for the heat in this one. It's going to be Jimmy Butler's tone versus Trey Young's tone. Right. Yeah. And that that's going to be sort of the tug of war in this one. And you know, when Jimmy, like there's a lot of soft spots in Atlanta's defense for Jimmy Butler to kind of poke at. And the one obvious one is going to be Trey Young. Every team with a big wing wants to kind of bring Trey Young into a switch and then attack him into the post and get him into the paint and, and go to work. And I thought the Hawks have done an okay job at trying to keep Trey Young out of those switches or even when he does get pinned in there, kick him out with another defender or something like that. And there was this one play in the last time that these teams met where uh, Jimmy's working, 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 trying to get Trey Young, kind of finally gets Trey Young briefly, and then John Collins kicks him out really quick. And then it's John Collins versus Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy Butler is like, all right, you know what? I tried, but it's just John Collins in front of me. So this is what I'm going to do. And he kind of just backpedals like two to three steps and then just torpedoes his way towards the basket, <laughs> takes his right uh, left shoulder and just bumps John Collins. John Collins is a big dude. Just just bumps him right out of the way. Jimmy Butler does not move and he just lays it in with like a soft uh, layup. And I'm just like, who can do this? It's like him and Kawhi, I feel like, are the guys that know how to do this uh, in, in that specific kind of way. You know, you got Embiid and Giannis that are just going to like literally just plow their whole bodies through you. But just like that, that level of uh, physicality, I don't know that the Hawks have anybody that could match it. DeAndre Hunter has done a pretty good job against Jimmy Butler. Um, but that's really like when I look up and down that roster for Atlanta, I'm like, I'm not looking at anybody that Jimmy Butler is scared of. You know what I mean? And and if, if he can kind of burrow his way into the paint and do those things and control the pace that way and then create those threes for Gabe, Vincent, Max Struess, Caleb Martin, et cetera. That's how the Heat win this game. And then, you know, it does come down to those guys making shots because Jimmy Butler's not going to go out there and score 50 points. That's just not his game. He's going to need his teammates to make shots. And I kind of go back to it, man. Like, the variance of this game is crazy. You know, if Bogdan Bogdanovich goes out for 30 points on, you know, eight for 13 three-point shooting, that could win the game for Atlanta. And now Miami's having to play a, a 9-10 game on Friday. So um, we can we can hash out this the, the matchup as much as we want. But, it, like, at the end of the day, I hate to say it, but it, it doesn't it feel like it's just sort of like, I don't know. We'll see. It's one game, right? Like the variance could just take oh. over in this one. Yeah. I mean, anytime you have a, a game that's a one game sample size anyway, but then you have a, you know, Miami's f- semi comfortably favored, what, five, five and a half points, according to FanDuel, our friends mm-hmm. over there. And like, that's not a huge margin. I mean, it's, it's a notable margin, but it's not one where like one team is this hammer of a favorite in this game. And with the way that the Hawks can shoot it and what the Hawks can score, they can close that gap. Um, you're right about Jimmy. I mean, if he's his best, the Hawks can't really stop him. I think that's probably worth acknowledging. They have bodies to throw at him. On one hand, Atlanta is worse against quicker guys usually, and that's not Jimmy's game. But he is so strong, and he's so he's so strong-willed that it may not matter. You know, like they're almost better suited to, go, to cover him than they are a lot of other like star-level perimeter guys. But that might just be neutralized if he has it going. So, uh, yeah, I think that certainly there's an element of a shrug at the end of at the end of this thing. Every preview that I've done so far, it's kind of like, well, the Heat are probably a little bit better. They're playing at home, but if the Hawks go out and shoot 45 percent from three in this game, 
Like they obviously can win. It's like they can't win. We, I think we, even the biggest Heat homer probably acknowledges the Hawks can win this game. It's not like it's yes. this seven. It's not. It's not a twelve game series or thirteen game series. Like it's it's one night, and if things go wrong for either side, it can uh, snowball for you. Heat fans really feel like they own the the, the Atlanta Hawks, and and they they have I get basically. It. Yeah. You know, they, they've won eight of they're eight of the last ten times that these teams have met. The Heat have won or whatever seven of the last nine. I'm bad at math. It's a it's a it's a theme here on Locked On Heat. Um, but uh. <laughs> In that respect, they have, but exact. I, I just wrote a whole thing about, about this at allyoucaneat.com, like an in-depth preview that basically was like, just don't overlook the Hawks, right? Like, this isn't a walkover. Like, yep. Trey Young is really freaking good. DeJounte Murray is, a, is is dangerous. The the one win that the Hawks have this season over the Heat, DeJounte Murray went out and scored like 28 points or something like that, 27 points, something, uh, and just went off. And and there's times where DeJounte Murray kind of made Bam out of bio uncomfortable defensively, which is not really a thing that happens. Uh, anymore and uh, DeJounte Murray got the better of them the last time these two teams met uh, a few times so there's weapons that the Hawks have I don't think that he can overlook them I, I if I had to make a pick uh, I would pick the Miami Heat to win this uh, it's at home it's Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Eric Spolstra um, I just trust them more than I just trust the Atlanta Hawks so I would go with them if I had to make a pick but I that doesn't mean anything you know what I mean so, <laughs> yeah. um, all right Reports indicating that maybe this could be Trey Young's last season in Atlanta. We're going to ask Brad if he buys into that and what could happen this offseason for the Hawks. That's coming up next. First, today's episode of Locked on Heat and Locked on Hawks is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks. Daily Fantasy made easy. All you have to do is to play is pick two to five players, and if they're going to score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can up to 10x your money on any entry, and the best part, no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections that are available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, including the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, and so much more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. They offer safe and fast withdrawals, and they're currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. So if you deposit $100, Prize Picks is going to give you $100 to play with. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks is going to give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks daily fantasy made easy. All right, let's get to it. Um, Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer reporting uh, on Monday morning that the Atlanta Hawks have the green light to do whatever it wants with the roster, quote, which includes considering trade opportunities involving all-star point guard Trey Young, end quote. That's directly from O'Connor's article. Brad, let's just jump right in. What do you think about this? Do you buy it? Um, Does it make sense to you? The the almighty question there, obviously. I, I think it's an interesting Everything about this is interesting. The timing is interesting right before the play-in and right after every season. Um, there was the flurry. I'm sure you remember this early in the season where you had the sort of, I think it was a Chris Haynes report. It was kind of like a Trey could be the next guy to ask out if so-and-so and so-and-so and so happens. Right. Uh, no one's gone as far as to like actually report that Trey is unhappy to ask out. Um, and my party line, and this still is the case now as a general response, is like, I don't think the Hawks are in a place where they would trade Trey Young unless Trey Young wanted to be traded. That could that change? It could. I'm not going to say it's never going to happen the other way around, but all indications that I've ever heard, still to this point, um, is that ownership on down, they're tied to Trey Young. 
and they, they made a big splash when they traded him in the first place. They're invested in him. He's their guy. Um, jersey sales, all those things. Like he's out, he's the, he's the base of the franchise, and it's kind of unique if you don't live here. But like he is, he's clearly the biggest star for this franchise since Dominique Wilkins. Mm. That's a long time. Like Dominique mm. got traded thirty plus years ago. It's been the Hawks have been good since then. Joe Johnson, Al Horford, etc. But Trey yeah. Young is is a is a different kind of star, a different kind of famous than those guys ever were. And I think that generally, I mean, you know this. How many times does a guy with the profile of Trey Young get traded without wanting to be traded? It just doesn't happen very often. And right. even if you're really low on Trey Young, and I know people are, and I get it, like defensive questions, all that stuff, small guards don't win championships. I get all the, I get all the arguments against and for, but you got to show me examples of teams punting on a guy like Trey Young, who averages what he averages, who has brought what he's brought, conference finals appearances, all those things. Like I just I, until I see until I hear something different, I'm going to assume that he's going to be there unless he unless he goes the other way and wants out. Because usually, like you know, guys if they want to get out, they get out. So that that's everything. Yeah. So, but the reporting here from from KOC was more like maybe the Hawks move on, and I I, I kind of don't buy. I'm not saying he's wrong. I just I just kinda, I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't doubt his his reporting. I just I guess my question is why would you do that if you're the Atlanta Hawks? Like, yeah, look, I'm not I'm not the biggest Trey Young guy. I'm gonna be honest. I think that there's a pretty hard ceiling to how how much you can win if Trey Young's your best player. And I also don't know that Trey Young would be like totally cool with not being the best player on a team. But that can change. That's just based on what we know of Trey Young so far, however old he is now, 23, 24, whatever. So um <laughs> That that stuff can change, but so far, um, I don't know. Like even if even if you're the Hawks front office and you go into the offseason, like what are you what are you gonna do? Reshuffle by trading Trey Young and just sort of build around like I like DeJounte Murray, but you're gonna build around DeJounte Murray and and Anaka Kongwu. Like, is that is that the plan? You know, if you trade Trey Young, obviously whatever you get for Trey Young back could be good, but like I don't know. I saw some like bleacher report aggregate. I don't know how true this is, like <laughs> and even the aggregate, but it was like Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson in a first for Trey Young. Like, I'm like, okay, like, I don't care how upset Trey Young is. Like, they're not doing that. There's no, there's just, there's no way. And yeah, I, that's the other part of this. It's it's so entertaining to me as, you know, I try to be pretty neutral about these things. Like, even if you said, okay, we're going to trade Trey, which that the the, the machinations of that would be interesting. Like, do you just like kind of put him up for sale? Like, do you call around the league and say, all right, make your best offer for Trey Young, or or do you try to do it quietly? That's the other thing. Like, do you want to just make it a smaller pool or do you right. want to get your best offer? But I've yet to see a realistic, I mean, if you it, 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 just assume he's going to get traded, what's it going to be back? I mean, I agree with you. I, I mean, DeJounte Murray is a nice player. He's not a number one on a good team. I think we, we could probably agree on that. Yeah. So what's, what's your plan? It would um, have to a be mark- a full like Utah jazz style, like blow up your trade, but they're not going to do that. And they're not. Murray. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's feels so soon to do like, that Utah Jazz team had like years of going to the playoffs and like kind of hating each other <laughs> from the outside in perspective. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like Quinn Snyder that he kind of like ran his course there. Like Quinn Snyder just got here to Atlanta, you know? And it just, it doesn't feel like ready. Like it doesn't feel like the Hawks are at that point yet. Well, and, all, and also Utah, not to your point about Utah, that, that Utah team is a good example, obviously, but they didn't bottom out before that. Like they didn't mm-hmm. do the whole rebuild. They kind of got, I don't, I don't want to say lucky, but you know what I mean? They got, they got Mitchell and Gobert with non top 10 picks. Like those are guys that were not, yeah, re- this is, this is a Hawks team that just did this. They just right. did the rebuild and came out yeah. of it with Trey as their guy. Like, do you want to do that again? I don't think so. I mean, just we can, this is obviously more of an Atlanta market, market discussion to be had, but like, I don't think they have the appetite for that. So 
it's different if Trey makes it easy on you, quote unquote, and goes out there and says, I want, I want out. Then you got, then you kind of have to do it. I get it. Maybe, maybe you don't have to, but you know what I mean? Most of the time guys get out. KD got out. It took him a little longer than we thought, but he got out. Um, and Trey's not KD, but like, and short of that, I just don't see the internal motivation to do that. I mean, maybe right. Quinn Snyder, I guess there was something in there from KOC about like, you know, Quinn's got all, all the power now. And I, I would buy that. I think he's got, I think he has a lot of juice, but is he going to decide after 22 games or whatever to trade Trey Young as his like first salvo out of the gate? I, I don't, I don't see it happening. The only way it happens, and maybe this is true, is if he freaking hates him. And if it's just like, I am sick it would have of this to be that, dude, yeah, it has to be that. Right? And, yeah. and, and so it, that's, that's kind of the point. Or like you said, if Trey Young is like, I hate it here, get me out of here. And it just feels, it, it feels like it would all, almost have to be an emotional breaking point as opposed to a sort of like an Excel spreadsheet version of team building, right? Where that's kind <laughs> yeah. of where it felt like Utah was coming from. We talked about all the emotional stuff, but when you look at what that ceiling, like a proven ceiling to that team, you know, with a, a crude track record of years of, of making the playoffs and not making it very far, they're like, okay. We kind of have a, a, a proven uh, kind of sample size of what the ceiling is, and it's not championship. And Danny Ainge went in there and was like, "Well, we want to have a championship ceiling, so we blew it up." I still feel like we don't really have any idea what how good this Hawks team could be. Full year of Quinn Snyder, kind of figuring out, you know, some of the things you mentioned the turmoil that this team has gone through this year. I think this roster is still really talented. I think there's better a better version of a season for the Hawks, maybe even as soon as next year than what happened this year. Um, all right. I, I kind of made my pick already. I didn't ask you for your pick. It wouldn't be a sports show if I didn't ask you for a pick. It's okay. I, I was expecting that, and I had to give one to somebody else already today. Uh, I, if I had to choose the winner of the game, I think my brain won't allow me to pick the Hawks, if that makes sense. I think the Heat are the favorite for a reason. I would, I think, lean the Hawks on the point spread if I had to choose. I think the Hawks plus whatever it is, five, five and a half, I'm with you I'd lean that. that if I had to pick that either way. But as far as the winner, like, you know, you can be emotional, but like there's there's a reason Miami's whatever they are, like a 65% favorite in the in the on, in the money line or whatever you want, if you want to translate that. So sure. like they're the better, they're the better team this year so far. They have the more established core, they have the head coach that's been there forever. And I, and I think for the first time in a long time, the Hawks don't have a huge coaching coaching disadvantage in this matchup, but still Spolster is really good. And uh and I think maybe more importantly, besides Jimmy, is the games in Miami. Like that mm-hmm. helps too. And you, I mean, even hearing from you how much they are motivated internally to not only just win this one, but to get to Boston, like that isn't to make you feel great if you're the Hawks. I don't think on the outside because you know this is like, gonna be a focused team. So yeah, I think you got to. I think you got to pick Miami, but I do think the Hawks keep it close. And I mean, you even acknowledged it. The Hawks could win this game very easily. It was not. It would not surprise me if the Hawks won. I just if I had to choose for my life, I, I would pick Miami. In these playing games, it should never be a surprise if either of these teams win. Like, again, no. like that's the whole nature of it. It's why they made it. It's it, there's an excitement factor in that there that in there that doesn't really exist in any. The other Hawks are forty one and forty one, and the famously the most like mid team of all time by the numbers. Right. So like they could they could be they could play awesome on Tuesday, and they could play terribly on Tuesday, and I would not be surprised by your outcome. Quick yes or no: If they lose this game against uh, Miami on Tuesday night, do you like their chances to come out of the uh, the winner of the nine ten kind of that second playing game? Yeah, I do. Same thing. Like they'll, they'll be at home this time, and I think they're at least as good, if not better, than either Toronto or Chicago. So I would, I would lean to the Hawks getting in, getting in either way, but probably more likely as the eight seed than the seven. I'm with you. All right, uh, that'll do it for today's crossover episode between Locked On Heat and Locked On Hawks. Make Locked On Heat or Locked On Hawks your first listen every day. Remember to subscribe to new episodes on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Um, We'll both be back, I would imagine, for the recap (laughs) of whatever happens uh, Tuesday night. Brad, thanks for joining me. This was fun. Thanks, Wes.